0: Hello! How are we doing? It's summer. I haven't used a hair dryer in over two months. Very excited. I'm not wearing any shoes right now, I just realized. Uh, so I'm really into the summer vibes. Um, isn't it so nice to have like at least two days in a row of sunshine? What a gift that has been. Um, I'm super excited to be here tonight just to share a little bit uh, with you. We've been in this series where uh, we've been talking about uh, some different words. So if you're new tonight or you're new in the last few weeks uh, and you're kind of wondering what we're learning about, uh, we thought it would be cool to look at a few words that are very simple. uh, And... Uh, Not necessarily make them complex, but understand that there's more to them uh, than meets the eye. These are words that we use every single day, Uh, probably uh, more than sometimes we should. I know for me, I love the word no. Um, And so uh, we've looked at ways that these can uh, expand for us maybe in new ways uh, with God. So I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this series, that you've learned something from this series, that it's inspired you uh, in your relationship with Jesus. Um, And tonight I get to talk about the word help. Everyone say help. Help is such a lovely word unless you're stubborn like me and you just can't say it. Is anyone else stubborn? Listen, Saturday, we're, we're a few people in here, but if you leave me hanging up here, you guys know what will happen. I'll make weird jokes, and it'll get really awkward. Uh, so, truly, does anyone not like to ask for help? Right. There's just something in some of us that is like, for me, I'm not going to make it your story. For me, it is I like to know how to do things. We've learned this from a previous sermon, if you've heard that. I like to know the things, and I don't want to need help. It's just the way that uh, way that I am. I blame my mother for her Frenchness. Um, it's just something that's, like, embedded in me. You guys are literally just staring at me right now. <laughs> you have to at least move a little bit. Sway a little. Loosen up. Uh, so tonight, um, we're going to talk about the word help, And I will say I feel slightly nervous to preach this, not because anything is, like, mind-blowing, but this is a tricky one for me personally, like I've already mentioned, and I just kind of feel like butterflies a little bit. And so I'm I'm sure we'll learn some things together this evening. Who knows? Uh, And I hope that this is helpful for you. (laughs) Get it? See what we did? Yes, thank you. Uh, so why don't we take uh, just a few moments uh, to pray uh, before we learn tonight. Are you with me? God, we thank you so much for uh, the help that you provide to each of us. Thank you for the help you sent, uh, sent in your son, Jesus, for us here. We ask tonight uh, that you would speak to us in the ways that only you can. Um, for some of us, God, we don't even know, we can't even identify yet in all the ways that we need help, but we know that uh, we're struggling. And you do not like to see your kids struggle and suffer. And so I just pray that uh, it would be your voice that would soothe us this evening, that would bring a calm and a peace to each of us. God, I pray that uh, you would help tonight. You would help me to say the things that that we need to hear, that um, you would help each of us to walk out of here feeling a little bit more ourselves. Uh, the you that that you've created each of us to be. And so we love you, and we ask these things in your Son, Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, we're going to look at a piece of Scripture uh, in the book of Luke. Luke is one of my favorite accounts, So we're going to start uh, at chapter 7. Um, I don't think there are slides because I purposely wanted you to just listen. So if you have something in front of you that you can read from, Uh, that's awesome. But often what I do, this is my practice, is while someone's reading a piece of scripture, I like to close my eyes because I'm very imaginative. So I like to try and picture the scene. So if you want to try that out, feel free. I won't be offended if you look like you're sleeping. Um, But uh, you can kind of follow along in the way that best suits you. So we're going to start uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Verse 36 And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So just to break this story down a little bit for you, this is the scene. is uh, We're told that there's a dinner happening at a Pharisee's house named Simon, right? So picture that. Um, a few weeks back, John uh, preached on a story that had kind of a similar happening with, with a supper, or dinner happening. Uh, and he helped us to understand that tables then were very low. So it wouldn't look like a table we sit at. Uh, And we know from this story that Jesus reclined at the table. um, And often uh, that position would leave your feet out behind you. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is in this room, as far as we know, with a group of Pharisees. The only named person other than Jesus is Simon. So a little bit on Pharisees. Uh, Pharisee in Hebrew means set apart. Uh, This group very much believed in the written and oral uh, law passed down from Moses. They went to school at a very young age to start learning uh, and committing this to heart and memory. Um, And we often see this group um, operate in a way uh, where they see people for a sin or for some kind of label. And that's really all they see in someone, And so very often we see Pharisees casting people aside or telling them they're separate or different because of what they believe as Pharisees. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is in this room uh, having this dinner. He's accepted this invitation to come. And the other part of the story that's happening at the same time is we learn about a woman uh, who is unnamed, unfortunately. And uh, she hears about Jesus's location and decides that she's gonna go see Jesus. And we know that she takes with her a jar of perfume. Uh, And what is described next is, um, I like to try and imagine it because I think for her, unfortunately being labeled as she was for her sin and known for that, she's a very probably lonely woman. And the woman in me feels for her and wishes that I could have been there with her but she goes to see Jesus wanting connection with him does that make sense and so when she walks in the scripture describes that she's looking at Jesus's back so his feet are out behind him and really even before he even turns around she doesn't even really address him she just automatically is so moved to be with him that she lavishes him his feet with oil she anoints him she cries and washes his feet with her tears and her hair. And what's amazing for her is without much verbal communication, she communicates a lot, right? Which says something to us. What happens in the watching group uh, is that they grow very uncomfortable with this, seeing her. I, when I picture it, I picture a very silent room except for her. Um, She's just overwhelmed to be in the presence of Jesus. But I picture uh, everyone else just kind of watching this and taking it in. We know how the Pharisees feel about Jesus in the first place. And so um, imagine uh, how they're reacting to this scene that's unfolding. Imagine them watching a woman who they have condemned, who they know only one way, have quite an interaction uh, with Jesus. And when Jesus tells her... Uh, your faith has saved you. I feel like she has done a lot for our faith, that seeing the way she embraces Jesus and what she looks to Jesus for should speak to us this evening. Amen? And so uh, what can we learn from this story um, about service? What can we learn from her? What can we learn from Jesus, even from the Pharisees? And As I was kind of praying through and thinking uh, in my office this week, I just thought um, about this idea of help, of service. But I also thought about another concept. So I want to implore you today just to think of a few different concepts, okay? So the first one is service. So to serve is to provide some kind of service or action. I'm sure there's many of us in this room who our career, our current job, provide some kind of service for someone else. And the thing about service, not entirely, I don't want to generalize, but often this kind of service really doesn't require a lot of internal shift. I've had uh, jobs in my life where (laughs) I just felt like a robot could do it because it didn't require much of me and who I am. It just required me to be there which should help us to understand that when we're out in the world at stores, especially around holidays, we should be very kind. Uh, but the second is uh, to, to care, okay? So care takes a different shape. Care has an aspect of service. It uh, usually provides something. It provides a need or a necessity. Um, but it takes a bit of an internal position to accomplish care. It takes a process that involves consideration, it takes evaluation, and it really takes communication. When we say that we care about something, or we care for someone, or we care about someone, that's entirely different than serving someone. Does that make sense? And so think about, think about it like this. Like if you go to a restaurant, you are looking for service. Right, I'm a foodie. I love to check out new restaurants here in the city. It's getting uh, a lot better than it was five or ten years ago, and I, I just I love a new experience. I love walking into a restaurant, um, and it's about more than the food, right? We want the food to taste well, but I also want it to look very beautiful. I also want it to feel nice. There's nothing worse than a good meal in a room that makes you feel not great. The decor maybe is dusty or old, and it just kind of ruins the whole vibe of what you're paying for. Uh, And I need good service. We've all had experiences where we've been served by someone who literally has no interest in providing anything for us, right? Where you kind of feel like an intruder or uh, an imposition. So I, like a nerd, have a bit of like a rubric that I grade restaurants on, it's all inside, I haven't moved to like a notebook yet, but maybe someday, um, where I, like if I, if I recommend a place to someone, I want it to be a full critique. I don't want to just give a little bit of a critique. Um, and right like on the other side of things, I will tell someone if I've had a bad experience, and I will tell them, don't go there. You should, you should just save your time. I usually give them three tries though I'm not that harsh yet. So, does this make sense? Am I the only one who does this? Okay, good, I got a few notes, that's great. So, when I'm evaluating a restaurant or a store, um, I don't go home and think, well, they didn't call me tonight, and check in on how I'm doing, so I'm never going back there. Like, you just wouldn't expect that, really, right? From a restaurant, now I wouldn't—I w- I wouldn't put it past someone in Fredericton to actually have that kind of work ethic, depending on which restaurant you're in. But I wouldn't judge my experience at a restaurant based on how many best friends I walked out of there with, because it's just—that's not a way that we judge a service experience. Does that make sense? And so, I want you to think about these two concepts. And while service and serving each other does play a role in our community and at large, it doesn't just stop there. It isn't everything. Um, And we can't stop there because the thing is, serving doesn't always provide the most important thing for others. Okay? Serving doesn't always provide true connection, which is what Jesus calls us to. Right? Serving doesn't finish everything off. It doesn't make everything always better. Sometimes it makes things harder. Whether we understand it or not, or we want to admit it or not, we all want to connect, right? We all want to have a few people in our lives who notice when we're not around and text us and say, I missed you. We all want people to know some of the details of our life and care enough to check in to really understand where we're coming from, our perspective, and, they, and to value it, right? We all want this kind of connection. For some of us, it's having people who we can let our guard down around, that we can be our true self, because being ourself is scary, and we don't know how to do it yet. But even just to have a few people that you can do that with, not all, Not everyone in this community can know everyone super well. I'm not trying to be discouraging (laughs) this evening. I'm just trying to be real, right? There's no possible way we can do that. But we can do that with a few people. And we all want that. We didn't just come here to learn tonight about something. We came to see each other, right? And that's part of gospel living. And so if we leave it at just serving each other, at just doing our little job in and out of this building, either one, we miss out on a really important part of the interaction, which is what it does for us internally, what it does for another internally. That God calls us to care for one another, not just to serve one another. The gospel is not a product. It's a way of living. And it looks best on us when we use it as a way to learn how to care for one another. Does that make sense? So I saw this video, probably on Instagram. And I wish I would have saved it, because I'd love to give her credit. But uh, there was a PhD doctor who was talking to people about connection and the importance of it. If it ever pops up for you, send me the link. I'd love to um, send her a note. But she asked people to do this really interesting thing, and I'm going to ask you to do it um, right now. So I'm going to ask you if you've got a phone on you to take it out. I know it's very exciting. Take your phone out at church. Um, I want you to open up your uh, way that you message people. I message. Maybe not Facebook because Facebook's bad for us all. (laughs) Um, And I want you to think about someone that you love and that you admire. And I want you to pull their name up in your phone to message them. And I want you to type out in your phone, how can I care for you better? (laughs) I just got a few interesting looks. (laughs) How can I care for you better? Now You get to decide if you want to send that or not but I want you to understand what it fe- the feelings that you're having right now. Because I did this earlier last week, for real. I wasn't just doing it for this. And I felt these feelings of, um, well, what if I'm not caring, actually caring for this person? And I'm sending this message and now they're gonna tell me. That's scary for someone that we love to feel like we don't actually care for them in a real way, in a way that they need. Does that make sense? And then I thought, well, what if they tell me more ways that I need to care for them? Like, I got a busy life. And now I'm invested. Right? Now I'm in. Um, but it all worked out. So, you decide if you want to send that or not. And I think you'll be really interested if you do send it. Um, don't all send them to me. I know we're all best friends. Um, but. I'd be really interested to hear if you ever want to share the responses you get because uh, for the few people that I messaged, they, like, freaked out. They were like, of course I feel like you care about me. And it turned into this whole resume of the ways that I care for someone, which was is so weird, right? And then I did have a few, like, well, you could maybe do this, which primarily came from my own brother. This was just my mistake. I shouldn't have sent it to him. Um, But it's interesting to put ourselves in this spot uh, not just of, like, what can I do, that kind of a thing, but how can I care better for you? That's not a word we often hear about. And what it evokes is understanding that there's deeper things happening within each of us. There is surface serving, kind of helping people out, and then there's, like, a deep care and I want you to understand that's what I'm talking about tonight. Not the surface thing, which is not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. But but God calls us to a deeper thing for one another. And that is gospel living. Does that make sense? Um, and also, I won't judge you if you're on your phone a little bit because I'm very thankful if good conversations are happening. So just continue on. Um, so, when I'm procrastinating, I like to sit in my office and just think about things. Not very often, don't worry, but it's one of my favorite things to do. And so, I was thinking last week what would it look like if one Sunday we just said uh, it's a clean slate, everything that we normally do is off the table, and our goal is to come into these spaces the same times we normally do. And our goal is to just care for one another. What do you, like, when I picture that, I picture something not super specific, but specific enough because of who I am and the way that I like people to care for me, which is usually like a one-on-one conversation of some sort. And so while I was closing my eyes, I wasn't like deciding what's best for our community. I don't want you to hear that. I was just thinking about what it would actually look like And what I pictured is maybe this room in the fellowship hall having a lot of tables or chairs actually facing one another. Um, We would brew really good coffee. Our stuff is subpar. Pastor John would agree. We'd actually brew really good coffee or bring in some Starbucks. And we would sit and talk to each other. We would use those 70 to 75 minutes to actually really just check in. Because what's really interesting about uh, watching our community, like as someone who has responsibility here, um, in and around the building, is you guys really long to do this. I watch before and after services. You know, as staff, we have a lockup schedule. um, And so we kind of filter through every week who's on lockup after services. And when my turn comes around, after the 11, like, I would have to kick you out. And sometimes I have. Because, like, i got to go home and eat. So it's interesting to watch that, for some of you, this is a really integral part of this community for you, is getting to see people one-on-one and have a conversation for a while. And so what ends ends up happening is it bleeds out from Sunday or Saturday, and you guys meet up, and you check in, and then from that, more community grows. And some people are more comfortable with that than maybe this experience. Does that make sense? And so there's something to that form of care. Now, I'm not critiquing anything here. Don't read between the lines. But what I'm saying is we all long for those kind of connections. There are some of you that sit in this room and you don't have them, and it's upsetting to you, right? And so this is what God calls us to, to be together, but to understand really what that means and what is required of us to really care. So maybe it will look different from you. That's fine. I'm the one on staff who's like, let's have a five-hour staff meeting and talk about our feelings. And the rest of everyone's like, we have things to do. No way. <laughs> and that's fine. It doesn't mean one of us is wrong or right. We just we have different motivations and desires and ways that we see care unfolding, right? And so that's fine. We just got to find a balance in how to accomplish this. Did you know that we have a care team? here at the church. Are any of you on that care team? This is very fun. Awesome. So the fun thing about the care team, they're like slightly little ninjas because they're not like a super known team. Um, I like to mention them every once in a while when I'm up here uh, because they're a very lovely group. Uh, they actually just operate through like an email <laughs> chain, which is awesome. There's a group, I'd say about like 20 to 25 people, who every week get an, an email from the lovely Catherine. Uh, and she just kind of updates people on things to pray about and people who need support and care. And so sometimes it looks like um, a meal schedule, people um, who like to cook. I buy snacks and deliver them. Uh, But people who love to cook and do hospitality that way, people are blessed by meals, people who need prayer, uh, people who receive cards and just encouragement. This team's job and their calling is literally just to care about people. That's it. There's nothing happening in services. There's nothing happening officially. But they just kind of are the people who care. Isn't that cool? And so there's people in this community who have received things, and even outside of this community, um, who don't come here, who have received care because of this team. If that's something you're interested in, please let me know after service. I'd love to get you connected. Um, But care is important, and we're learning every day here how to do it. And so returning to this story, um, this woman who anoints Jesus, who washes his feet with her tears and her hair, Her desire is connection. She just wants to get to Jesus. But what I found really interesting is in her desire for true connection, she inadvertently cares for Jesus. He points out to Simon and the Pharisees, you didn't do any of the stuff that you guys are supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to welcome me. And in her desire for connection, she takes care of Jesus. He really doesn't need that stuff. He was just kind of making a sassy point, which I love, but he made the point, right? You didn't care. You didn't care about or care for me. And this woman who you contemn, she, uh, she did it. And so we aren't just here to meet one little need for each other. We aren't just here to be surface. There's more for us, church. There is a deeper connection through Jesus and for each other that we are called to. But when things get reduced to just serving and filling a spot, it gets hard. When you are serving and you don't feel cared for, that feels really hard. It's a very unique hard. And I'm sure lots of us could tell stories about our own life uh, that would prove that point. Is that okay? For some of you, you sit in this room and you listen to these words and it is thrilling for you. You love connection. You're extroverted. The lobby is your friend. Uh, You're not awkward like me. You love it. And connection is super important to you and you're able to do it. Maybe you haven't made the connection yet, but you're super willing uh, and you're looking for a way uh, to belong and connect. And that's awesome. And for some of you, you sit here and this is makes you sad makes you upset uh, brings hard feelings and I just want to encourage you where you're at whether you struggle to even care for yourself right now so you don't know how to care for another whether you struggle with letting Jesus into the places that hurt it is okay to be where you're at with this care is not an easy thing and sometimes taking care of ourselves is the hardest of all Right? And so if it's hard, that's okay. But if you're ready to make a step in something, if you need an ear or you need encouragement or you need help with the next step, that is what we're here for. Certainly the staff, but there are many here who uh, would love to connect with you to provide uh, community. And so care, what do we do with this? How do we do it well? Um, I wish I could give you a really neat package about this plan that we're going to uh, head into as a church. I just don't have those answers. And the truth is, in transparency, is I'm still learning about connection as a person. I have a hard time sometimes being vulnerable. For those of you who know me, it's a hard battle for me. I have no idea why. Um, it just is. Vulnerability is not an easy thing for me. It's not an easy thing to, to practice self-care Sometimes when you are a leader and you're expected uh, and you present yourself, I should say that, you present yourself in a way uh, that you want to care for many, but when you're not learning how to care for yourself, these things are hard, right? It's not an easy battle. And so I thought rather than presenting some ideas that would be great uh, and lead to great fruit, I thought I would just share with you the prayer that I have said in the season. Does that make sense? Uh, and you guys can kind of take it. Where you want to go with it. So what I've prayed is to do the work of caring even when I feel like I haven't done it for me or for others, okay? The, to do the work of connection even when it seems too big to find my way in and to sit with Jesus and let him in, to let him care for me in the ways that I've known, uh, to, that I have, I've never known to care for myself. And so I've been encouraged with the knowledge from Scripture and from the voice of God that care connects us to one another. And on the flip side, true connection with one another leads us to better care for one another. They go together. There's um, a dynamic that happens there. I had a really good conversation with a good friend, and she said that this doesn't happen on accident. It must be Intentional. And I think if there's a word I would pray for us in this season is intentionality. Is to not be in this kind of shapeless wondering about what do we do and how do we do this. But to just be intentional with the things we know about Jesus. The ways that he asks us to care for one another. Does that make sense? What I thought of this past week is this. We can't just linger in love, for love without care is admiration and not affirmation. And so we can't get stuck. I don't know how many times I've seen the word love used as a shutdown. But I love you. But it must go deeper than love, which seems such a weird concept because love, God is love, right? But there has to be a deepness to our love that provides care for one another, so I'm going to read you uh, a few pages from one of the books that I've been reading. That's been very helpful uh, in this season. Um, that you can go and find. You can borrow my copy if you'd like. So this book is called "Barking to the Choir: um, The Powerful, the Power Story of Radical Kinship" by Father Gregory Boyle. And I thought I'd just explain to you a little bit of who he is, just so you're not wondering. Um, Greg Boyle is an American. Roman Catholic priest of the Jesuit order. He's the founder of Homeboy Industries, which is the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world, which is crazy. In the face of law enforcement tactics and criminal justice policies of suppression and mass incarceration as the means to end gang violence, he uh, and his parish and community members adopted what was a radical approach at the time, treat gang members as human beings. In 1988, they started what would eventually become Homeboy Industries, which employs and trains former gang members in a range of social enterprises, as well as provides critical services to thousands of men and women who walk through its doors every year seeking a better life. Father Greg uh, is author to two best-seller uh, books, um, and he, uh, I don't know if how many of you remember, but uh, when we did the Twelve Neighbors series, which was not all that long ago, we actually watched a video that featured uh, he and Homeboy and Homegirl Industries. Do you remember that? <clears throat> Sorry, I have a tickle in my throat. I'm not emotional yet. Um, so he's just—he's one of those people that he sounds like he talks in poetry. Like when he speaks, you're like, "Oh my goodness!" He has—he has so much wisdom, but he presents it in such a lovely way. So I'm going to read you this story, and this is, um, he's traveling. Uh, hes He speaks all over the world about homeboy and homegirl industries uh, as well as other things. Um, and the cool thing is, is when he travels, he always brings a few people with him, a few homies, he calls them, uh, just, you know, to have the experience of traveling uh, and so that he doesn't have to travel alone, and in this story, Uh, He's going to speak in D.C., uh, and they stop off. He's traveling with uh, Louis and Joe. Uh, He describes them, which is hilarious, uh, are both large gang members in need of seatbelt extender kinds of fellows. So he's with two large guys uh, who apparently are are very lovely. They stop uh, in New York City en route to D.C., um, and he decides to take them to the Holocaust Museum, uh, just to have that experience. So I'm going to read a little bit to you. Is that okay? It says, there were three of us, uh, the three of us, sorry, begin in the lobby where I tell them they'll have two hours to spend in the museum. Let's walk the place alone, let it sink in, and meet back here at three. Two hours later, we are back where we started debriefing. Clearly, they were moved and even shaken by the weight of what they'd just seen. While we were talking, we notice a man, probably in his 80s, sitting behind the desk reading a book. He is tiny and bald and undistracted by our conversation. There is a chair placed in front of the desk that seems to invite someone to sit, and then we notice a small sign on the desk that says Holocaust survivor. The three of us process this all at the same time, and we start to generate A response, what would we say to someone who's been through all that, Joe asked quietly. Yeah, I add, but Lewis is fearless. I'm gonna go talk to him, he says. You do that, I reply, and we'll be in the gift shop. Lewis later tells us about his encounter with extraordinary and awestruck detail. The man's name was Jacob. He was 13 uh, when he arrived at Auschwitz. Both of his parents were killed there. His two sisters were executed before his eyes, and a niece and nephew were also murdered. He was a worker and thus spared until the camp was liberated. Lewis listened with all the attention that he could muster, and when Jacob finished telling his story, Lewis retrieved a homeboy business card from his pocket. I work at Homeboy Industries, he said. It's the largest gang intervention, rehab, and reentry program in the world. Jacob took the card and studied it. I hope, Lewis added, that if you're ever in Los Angeles, you'll come and visit us. Jacob remained quiet. I'm 27 years old, Lewis continued, and half of those years I've been locked up. Jacob initially feels moved to scoff. In American prisons, he half chuckles, you have your own room, a mattress, and a pillow. We had to sleep on wooden planks, and if you spoke in line, They'd pull you out and nearly beat you to death. Lewis takes this in as if every word was some prized object being handed to him. Yeah, he said, nodding with understanding. I was beaten a gang of times in county jail. Once I was pulled out of line and beaten so badly, I looked like the elephant man when they were down with me. And then they threw me naked into a cell where I slept on a metal sheet. Jacob now receives what Lewis shares with a newfound reverence. It's at this point in the story, however, that I feel the need to intervene. Lewis, I say, let me see if I've got this right. You are comparing your experience to a Holocaust survivor's? There is no hesitation for Lewis. No, he says with the clarity of a saint. No, there's no comparing what this man has suffered to what I've lived through. Now he thinks and his eyes moisten before he speaks again. I wasn't competing with him. A tear trails down his cheek. I was connecting with him. And isn't that a good story to help us understand how important connection is, right? That this is what God calls us to. The best way to care for one another is to do the work of connection. It's not an easy work. It takes time and intentionality, but I believe uh, that there's something there for us today. And so what I'm going to do, I know that we've already greeted each other, but I'm going to get us to do it again because I think even for us to understand in this small act of being intentional, of looking someone in the eye, of shaking their hand, and saying, I'm glad to see you, I think God does something even with that simplicity. So why don't we stand today and greet each other.